morning again. Would you turn in your Bibles to the book of Acts in the New Testament? If you want to use the blue Bibles under the chairs in front of you, you can find Acts on page 770. Um, You know, I get excited when we start a new sermon series. I thoroughly enjoyed the Advent series. Uh, It's always a challenge to try to uh, make very relevant and fresh some very familiar themes during the Christmas season, and I thoroughly enjoyed, and as I know you did, the Grace Stories series in January. Uh, But walking through a book of the Bible, I would say, is the meat and potatoes of of, um, biblical Christianity, and meat and potatoes sustenance for the Church of Jesus Christ as we gather for worship. So I, I hope you're excited to jump into a new book as I am. As we kick off the sermon series on the book of Acts, um, before I give any background information, before I summarize a few of the themes, I want to share with you a couple of thoughts about why we need the book of Acts, especially during this exciting time for in the life of our church, a time of growth, a time of, of vitality. Uh, first, I'd like to give you permission to daydream during the sermon, just a little bit, just, just a moment. Uh, some of you are really good at it, um, but I want us to do it collectively, okay? And um, so go ahead and indulge for a minute. Imagine the details of a perfect life, the way you would dream it up. For most of us, it probably starts with solid health for us and for our loved ones, and uh, probably a, a dose of sufficient wealth to enjoy the good things of life, leisure time, fine cuisine, world travel, the comforts of modern life, and family and friends to share those experiences with. No messy relationships in my dream life, and a nice church to have spiritual roots. You might know I'm setting you up right now. (laughs) I'm going to burst that bubble. Um with some blunt language, no less. If that is your highest dream, then it very well may be straight from the devil. If you were wondering whether I get paid to tell you what you want to hear, the answer is no. (laughs) It's not in my job description. It very well may be from the devil. If that's all that you dream about, um, if you're a follower of Jesus Christ... Is that why Jesus took on human flesh and died, literally, a hell of a death? To give you that? If you're a follower of Jesus Christ, is that his greatest desire for your life? And and he proved that he has your best interest in mind by giving his own life for you. Is that all that he wants for you? And if you're not a follower of Christ... The devil absolutely wants you to focus on the here and now and to dismiss any thought of an eternity. He wins in that game. But when Jesus says to his disciples at the beginning of the Sermon on the Mount, you don't have to turn there, you can find it later on in Matthew chapter 5, but when he says to his disciples, you are the salt of the earth and you are the light of the world, he's making these identity statements that give us a foundation for understanding our purpose in life. Why are we here on earth? This is who you are, Jesus says, salt and light. Now go and be that 
act like salt and light. And he says unsalty salt has no purpose. It wouldn't season. It doesn't preserve um, food against decay. You might as well throw it out. And light that you hide under a bowl or a basket can't give light to the room. It cannot dispel darkness. You might as well not waste the flame, the fuel, the electricity in our context. That doesn't make sense for the people of God. Why do I say we need the book of Acts? We need Acts to shake us out of the complacency that so easily afflicts us. We need the book of Acts to expose in us the childish dreams that we so easily orient our lives around. We need the book of Acts to recalibrate us as a church, as the people of God, to, to uh, get us on and help us to remain on mission to fulfill the purpose that God has in store for every one of our lives. We don't need the book of Acts because there's something seriously wrong. This isn't um, a 2 o'clock in the morning visit to the ER for acute care. This is the, the best of times to um, consider how we stay healthy and get even healthier. It's like going to the chiropractor or the physical therapist because you know that if you don't stretch and loosen and strengthen and correct the little things that are going wrong, serious unhealth will occur. This is the best of times to step back and say, who are we, God? And how would you have us pursue your purpose for us as a church, as Grace Redeemer Church? When we stop being self-critical, when we stop having a healthy self-suspicion, when we stop looking out for the devil who uh, prowls around uh, uh, looking to devour, when we stop remembering, Jeremiah 17, that the heart is deceitful above all things, we will become no more than a merely religious club giving lip service to God. And if you want that, there are a lot of options out there that are easy, that are available. Uh, that won't ever challenge you to do anything outside your comfort zone. That won't ever tell you anything that you don't want to hear. But if you want a life of purpose and mission, and if you want in on God's most significant mission, then the church of Jesus Christ is the place where that's going to happen and the means through which that will happen to the ends of the earth. And by God's grace... That's happening here at Grace Redeemer Church. The gospel is at work. The, the book of Acts is no silver bullet. It doesn't automatically fix everything, but it absolutely leads us in the right direction. Are you ready? Acts chapter 1, starting in verse 1. I'll read the first 11 verses. Listen carefully. These are God's words. In my former book, Theophilus, I wrote about all that Jesus began to do and to teach until the day he was taken up to heaven after giving instructions through the Holy Spirit to the apostles he had chosen. After his suffering, he showed himself to these men and gave many convincing proofs that he was alive. He appeared to them over a period of 40 days and spoke about the kingdom of God. On one occasion, while he was eating with them, he gave them this command, do not leave Jerusalem, but wait for the gift my father promised, which you have heard me speak about. For John baptized with water, but in a few days you will be baptized with the Holy Spirit. 
So when they met together, they asked him, Lord, are you at this time going to restore the kingdom to Israel? He said to them, it is not for you to know the times or dates the father has set by his own authority, but you will receive power when the Holy Spirit comes on you and you will be my witnesses in Jerusalem and in all Judea and Samaria and to the ends of the earth. After he said this, he was taken up before their very eyes and a cloud hid him from their sight. They were looking intently up into the sky as he was going when suddenly two men dressed in white stood beside them. Men of Galilee, they said, why do you stand here looking into the sky? This same Jesus who has been taken from you into heaven will come back in the same way you have seen him go into heaven. This is God's word. Let's pray. Lord, your spirit inspired the writing of this book and that same spirit in us and among us. We pray, show us truth. Reveal to us what you would have us know and to see and to follow. Work it deeply into our hearts, we pray, for the glory of Jesus and for the good of his church, us, your people. Amen. First, um, what do I mean by Jesus part two? A little bit of background on the book of Acts. It was written by Luke, who was a physician. And the book of Acts immediately follows the four gospels, the, the um, accounts of Jesus' life and ministry. Acts describes the early church under the leadership of the apostles, but it's really a part two narrative. It's a sequel. Uh, this coming December, when Star Wars Episode Seven comes out, I'm guessing it'll be a little con- uh, a little confusing unless you've seen numbers one through six. And of course, the right way to watch numbers one through six is out of order, right? All of us adults know that. W- would you believe that we saw number four 38 years ago? If you're old enough to have gone to the theater, you can cry. It's okay. This is a safe place in church. You, are, you and I are that old. 38 years ago, episode 4 and then 5 and 6, and then only recently 1, 2, 3, and now we're going uh, ahead to 7. Uh, usually in a sequel, it helps to understand what has come in order to, um, in, uh, to come before, in order to figure out what's happening now. By the way, that sequel rule of thumb does not apply to Rocky numbers 2 through 6 because really they're all the same movie. They just have different fighters. You don't need to know what happened in the past. Usually it's helpful, though. If we go back to the end of part one, which is Luke's gospel, Matthew, Mark, Luke, his emphasis in chapter 24 is that Jesus is the fulfillment of all of God's Old Testament promises. Genesis through Malachi, as our um, uh, Old Testament order goes, all point to Jesus, the Messiah. He has come as fulfillment. That's how part one ends, Luke's gospel. And then in Acts, which is part two, in the very first verse, Luke calls his gospel his former book, where he wrote about all that Jesus began to do and to teach. You know, if I, if I said to you, last summer I began writing a novel, the natural question that you would ask me in conversation is, oh, how, how, how's it going? Or uh, when will you be finished? When will it be published so I can buy it on Amazon? 
and you can buy John Gregory's book on Amazon, by the way, the Schomburg line, um, and a former uh, members who, who, who moved to Michigan, a um, book about baseball, Bill Hagedorn. I'm looking forward to looking at that. Uh, but that'd be a natural question. How's it going? Because when I say I began to do something, the, the assumption is I'm continuing to work on it. So when Luke talks about all that Jesus began to do and to teach, the natural reaction is, well, wait a second. This passage tells us that Jesus is back at the Father's side in heaven. He's not here. So how is Jesus continuing to do and to teach? The answer is the book of Acts. In 1993... I was finishing out my junior year in college, and my plan was to do what all of my peers were doing in school, which is to find that summer internship to set up the possibility of a full-time job offer after graduation. And I assumed I would do that. My parents assumed I would do that. God had different plans in mind. And he ended up leading me into an experience that would end up, after the fact, uh, begin showing me that my calling was a pastoral track. Uh, my campus ministry leader was pushing me to go on a Campus Crusade summer project, and I really had no interest in giving up the summer and, and not making any money and being away from home for 10 weeks. But as I said, God had other plans in mind, and I gave in. And I figured if I'm going to give in, I should pick a really challenging place to live and minister in. So I went to Newport Beach, California. Um, it, it's a tough... You could get sunburned in Newport Beach, California, on February 1st. You know, it's not an easy place to stay. Um, I worked a minimum wage job during the early part of the day. And in the afternoons, uh, the campus staff who were uh, from all across the country would lead us in evangelism training and prayer groups and Bible studies and worship times. And then, after four weeks, they left. Um, Only the veteran summer project students knew this was coming. I was shocked. I, I didn't know what was going on. And, and just before they left, they had prepared and equipped and assigned a job to every one of us 55 college students living in one apartment complex. Crazy. And then the kids took over the household. The prisoners started running the prison. They left. Do you sometimes feel like Jesus did this to his followers? Do you sometimes wonder where he is when you need him the most. When there's a fork in the road, big decision to make, crisis to handle. Do you ever feel that you're ill-equipped, especially to continue the work that Jesus began to do and to teach? Our series graphic has something to say about that. A big thank you to Austin Way again for a striking image that um, helps us understand the message of the book of Acts, but um, on the stage is the spotlight shining simply on the director's chair, and his name is Jesus. You, you wonder, does this mean the director's gone? Absolutely not. He is present. He is working among his people. He, he's not removed. He's not an afterthought. He's not utterly absent. He's not letting the prisoners run the prison. He is present and active, just not in the flesh but through his spirit, the Holy Spirit, also called the spirit of Jesus, the spirit of Christ, the spirit of God. And if you're wondering, we are the actors on the stage of human history. 
empowered to do his work under his direction by his Holy Spirit. That leads us, secondly, to a a brief focus on that third person of the Trinity. The traditional name of the book is the Acts of the Apostles because it's this account, uh, this narrative of what the early church did under their leadership. But you could argue that a better name is the Acts of the Holy Spirit because he's present everywhere. We'll see the Spirit's work more clearly in the book of Acts than almost anywhere, perhaps with the exception of Romans 8, which is just a dense um, uh, passage that describes life in the Spirit. It, if you're looking for a sermon series on the, uh, on the Holy Spirit, and some people have asked me over the years, why, don't, why, why can't we have a, a series? Uh, we can. I would argue it is this series on the book of Acts. Because the Holy Spirit never draws attention to himself. That's not his goal. That's not his purpose. His his goal is always to exalt Jesus the Son, to shine light upon Christ so that everyone can see his all-surpassing glory. That's the Spirit's purpose. There is no faith and life in Christ without the Spirit. Romans 8 verse 9 says, if anyone does not have the spirit of Christ, he does not belong to Christ. You can't be a Christian without the Holy Spirit. And vice versa, there's no spirit-filled living. There's no such thing apart from faith in Jesus Christ, apart from trusting in this good news, this gospel that Jesus has come and lived and died and, and, and risen from the dead. Here in chapter 1, the spirit's power is so essential for gospel ministry that Jesus instructs his disciples to stay in Jerusalem, don't go anywhere, and wait until power comes upon them. You can imagine the early church. Jesus has risen from the dead. They're raring to go, but wait, Jesus. Sit here and and wait. How long? There are lost to be saved. There are people to be rescued. There there are hungry to be fed. There are um, broken to be healed. You want us to sit here and wait? Yes, because none of that effort means or accomplishes anything if the Spirit of Jesus is not behind it and underneath it. For what purpose? To exalt the Savior. We'll see throughout Acts that the Holy Spirit shows up 59 times. And almost 40 of those instances describe the Holy Spirit speaking through his people. They're not all these miraculous um, appearances and divine interventions. Holy Spirit empowering the people of God to do and to teach what Jesus began. Two-thirds of the instances. And in every instance, what is the Holy Spirit saying through the people of God? Essentially, look at Jesus. Exalt Jesus. Trust in Jesus. That is the sign of spirit-filled living. And there's an example here in in verse 8. Jesus says, you will receive power when the Holy Spirit comes on you. For what purpose? To be his witnesses. To point to Jesus. There's no greater mission in life. That is why we're here. That is what we should be daydreaming about. And using our time, talent, and treasure to accomplish. Last thing, uh, one more thing actually a trinity of one more things. 
Uh, first, a note of caution. The book of Acts is not intended to be normative for the church of all ages. What, what do I mean by that? It is not a manual for the church to follow. How do we do church? Let's see. Let's start in Acts chapter 1. It's not a prescription for church health. Of course, it gives us all kinds of uh, wonderful principles that have uh, are God-saturated and spirit-empowered um, and Jesus-exalting. But um, we can't look at Acts and, and think that everything that happens in it is supposed to happen today just like that. It's not a guide. It's not a manual. It's not prescriptive. We'll see that in the giving of the Holy Spirit. Uh, a few times, belief and the gift of the Holy Spirit don't happen at the same time. And uh, some people today think that they're supposed to be separate. Not the case at all. We'll, we'll get into that when it comes. We'll also see that um, non-normative rule in the miraculous gifts given to the apostles. And, and just briefly here, um, in Acts chapter 3, Peter heals on demand. He doesn't pray. He doesn't think about it. He doesn't ask God, uh, might you want to use me in this way? He heals, he commands, and it comes about. He's given that ability. By the end of Acts, we uh, see less and less of that, very markedly. Uh, it's not happening like that as it is in the beginning of Acts. And um, if we fast forward to the end of the New Testament in terms of time, Second Timothy is one of the last books to be written in the first century. The Apostle Paul, who had also participated in his healing ministry, um, writes in Second Timothy 4 about his friend Trophimus. He's a Christian brother, a partner in gospel ministry, and he's sick and he couldn't travel with Paul. Obviously, gospel ministry could have been helped if Trophimus was there. Paul doesn't heal him. Presumably because um, God doesn't want him to. Hebrews chapter 2 tells us that signs and wonders were, were given in order to confirm, to authenticate the word of God. And this is a unique stretch of redemptive history when that's so necessary. Today, 21st century, especially in America, where we have scripture and availability to Christian churches, it's not needed in that kind of way to that same degree. Can God heal miraculously today? Absolutely. No question in my mind. Does he work miraculous things? Absolutely. No question in my mind. Just not exactly like we see in the book of Acts. We can't expect everything to happen like it did under the apostles. Um, that's a word of caution, a note of caution. One word of emphasis. On a related note, miracles are not the centerpiece of the book of Acts. The preaching of God's word is. Now, of course, you'd expect that from a Presbyterian preacher, right? Uh, we're not a Pentecostal church. But um, it, it's striking that uh, next week when we look at Acts chapter 2, the miraculous coming of the Spirit at Pentecost, it's described in about 13 verses. Peter's sermon explaining what just happened is almost twice as long, 23 verses. Uh, later on, the healing of a lame man at, at the temple is described in 10 verses. Peter's speech describing what happened behind that healing is more than twice as long, 22 verses. Not that word counts or verse counts are, are the end-all, be-all, but there are many more significant um, sermons explaining what God is up to in world history than there are instances of little healings. Like news reporters, we tend to gravitate towards the sensational, don't we? But the meat and potatoes of Acts 
get, uh, is the valuable um, revelation of the gospel, whether it's in a sermon or a teaching passage, telling us this is who God is and this is what he's up to in history and this is how we are to respond to him appropriately as the king of the universe. Um, the church can thrive with gospel and no miracles. There is no church. There is no people of God if there are signs and wonders but no gospel. Because what would the signs and wonders point to if there's no substance as a foundation? Uh, Last thing, one necessary truth to affirm. There is no part two sequel if Jesus' body is still sitting in that tomb. Luke chapter 24, end of part one. Emphatically, he is risen. Resurrection is that one absolutely necessary truth because that means the story is not over. That means it's continuing to be lived out and told and enacted in world history. The risen king is still directing his creation and he is still rescuing sinners now through the spirit of Jesus who dwells in his people and empowers us to do his work. That, that, that's why the Lord's Supper is not just a memorial service looking back, but is a declaration that the one who gave his body and his blood has come and is coming again. Acts equals Jesus part two. Let's pray that the Holy Spirit will use this to make us look more like Jesus as we continue to do and to teach gospel here at Grace Redeemer Church. Let's pray. Lord, your spirit is here. He is in us as we trust in Jesus. Your spirit can do mighty things, but guard our hearts from merely looking for the sensational when the spirit's aim is nothing more and nothing less to point us to Christ. So, uh, let us see Jesus. Let us see His glory more clearly. Let us marvel at His love in the Lord's Supper. Let us remember, yes, but also look forward to His return, His finishing everything that He began. Lord Jesus, we pray this in Your name. Amen.